0: Sorry about the internet. I couldn't do very much about it. No, you're fine. It um, happens on almost okay. every call,
1: whether you're in America or Bangkok. It started raining, and I was like, Darrr! so sorry about that. No worries. I'm surprised we didn't hear any chickens in the background. Well, I met my brother's like, super fancy high-rise, so you're only going <laughs> to hear like fancy birds.
0: Fancy so. birds. <laughs> <laughs> there's, like, there's like, no, there's, seriously, like, I'm looking outside, and there's like this green tropical bird, and I'm like, man, the birds are better up here. So... <laughs> Um, oh
1: my gosh.
0: I'm Heidi Berkey. And I'm Rachel Goble. And this is the Ethical Storytelling Podcast. Doop, boop, doop. Gotta keep it fun.
1: <laughs> Welcome to the Ethical Storytelling Podcast Storyteller Series. We're interviewing filmmakers, photographers, and writers in the NGO or impact space to learn how they apply or have failed at applying ethical storytelling in their work. Today, we're having a conversation with Constance Dykhausen, Executive Director of JP's Peace, Love, and Happiness Foundation, where she manages partnerships and grants. Additionally, she produces content, strategy, and branding to help organizations discover their voice and communicate who they are.
0: There's been times when people have been like, I, this is this is really sobering, like somebody who'll kind of look at me and be like, are you getting paid for this? And you kind of want it, it just kind of rocks you back on your, on your heels and you're like, uh, yeah, you know? And you realize that like, they, they live in either extreme poverty or they've experienced extreme trauma, and you're kind of just visiting, and you're getting paid to visit them.
1: We don't have all the answers, so join us in this conversation. Here we go. Can you start by sharing a little bit about who you are?
0: Sure. My name is Constance. Um, I grew up in Dallas, Texas, but I moved to Austin for undergrad, and then I stayed for grad school. I went to the LBJ School of Public Affairs. Um I traveled a lot with missions and different um, trips and I really just grew to love travel and things like that. So in grad school, I studied international development and um, public policy. So after that, I was looking for a job and I ended up getting a gig in Thailand. So I moved to Thailand and worked for an international trafficking organization and that was kind of the start of my career.
1: Can you talk a little bit about um, some of the work that you've done and what brought you to being passionate about writing? Sure,
0: writing is kind of my side hustle. Um, I think I'm I'm also the uh, director of a family foundation, and so I'm active in philanthropy and the philanthropy community. But part of what I saw in my role there was um, a desire to help nonprofits to tell their stories and communicate with donors better. And so I started um, working with a friend of mine, Esther Havens, who's a humanitarian photographer and Um, I think it originally started, like, I don't even think she knew I could write. I was just, like, holding her lights (laughs) and doing things like that. Um, But I'm just really passionate about, like, I would just start talking to people, seeing, you know, what their lives was like and stuff like that. And so I ended up doing some writing.
1: Yeah. So as you reflect on your career, your side hustle, as you put it, uh, as you reflect (laughs) on your side hustle, uh, what have been some of the moments or could you share a story of a moment where, you began to identify what ethical storytelling was for you?
0: Um, I think I kind of, I think I had the advantage of starting out that way because I wasn't immediately drafted or because I didn't come out with like a marketing degree. So I think for me, it was kind of a matter of crafting it before I go out to the field um, and really having a sense of, you know, I want to respect this person um, I don't want to push them. I, th- I do think that was maybe one thing I learned is when I when I went out to the field when I was younger, I was like, I really got to impress people. I'm a journalist. I got to, like, get all the details of their life. I have to really understand them and know every gritty detail. And then after a while, it's was like, why am I grilling this woman on her mm. past? Like, you know, like, I'm not a, – a kind of going back to power dynamics. Like, I could get her to tell me all these terrible things, um, and it would probably make a great story, and it would probably be compelling – but that's not really the point, is it? Like, the point isn't for me to come and learn every aspect of this woman's life and display it for my portfolio um, or, you know, to have more, more details for myself. Um, so I just kind of let things go now. Um, even if uh, the client will tell me something like, you know, this woman, sometimes, you know, the client will know things like, oh, this woman has HIV. If she doesn't bring it up in an interview, I don't, I don't mention it in the article because there's no reason for me to disclose things about somebody's past if they're not, dealing with it, open with it. They might not be open with their community about it. Um, And so I think that that is one thing I've learned is I don't, I'm not there to get all the gritty details of somebody's life. Um, I'm I'm not a journalist. Like I'm not trying to go in and uncover this hidden truth. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much trying to sell, you know, nonprofits (laughs) and social (laughs) businesses. So there's really no reason um, to be grilling, you know, people about their, their situations. So
1: Yeah. What's interesting about what you just said or what jumps out to me is it's almost like your job description to yourself changed over time. Would you agree with that?
0: Um, Yeah, I think so. Um, I think too, like I kind of started just wanting to go out into the field as a friend um, because Mm -hmm. I was curious. And as when you work for foundations, like you just get to go and visit projects all the time. And so I'm used to going and seeing and sitting around and I just wanted to kind of have more of it. Like, I love that. I love going to the field. I love just dropping in somewhere and sitting in somebody's, you know, front front room and drinking tea or or hearing their story. And so I kind of started as a friend, ended up as kind of a writer. And then now I sit in an office most of the time and do comms (laughs) (laughs) and write on Twitter and things like that. So it definitely has evolved both, um, you know, like kind of the romantic side has, has died down and the travel dies down a little bit, but you still want to have that core of the work and that thing that motivates you to, um, remember the stories of people and things like that. So yeah, I mean, it's, and I think it's ever evolving. Like who knows what storytelling will be in a couple of years. Like, you know, you you guys have a great podcast. Like there's so many opportunities to tell stories differently as technologies change and as audiences shift from platform to platform. So Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I think I'm, I hope I'm up for the challenge. So
1: where would you like to see storytelling specifically for organizations or impact work shift to in the coming years?
0: Um. I, guess, I mean, I guess I would just like to see more organizations on board, as they say, um, ethical storytelling. I wish um, I could see more people telling the stories of, of people well, and I think, I think people are starting to do it, and you're seeing a lot of um, kind of like ethical storytelling light type of <laughs> things where people are, you know, doing a better job with their photos or doing a better job with how they treat their subjects. But I think sometimes even what's frustrating to me to see is that the, the core of the work still might be a little retro or might be a little Um, Mm 1.0. Even if their storytelling is great, they still might be doing work that is pretty basic or that isn't sustainable or that isn't trauma-informed or informed by the community. And so um, I'd like to see kind of as ethical storytelling becomes more of a norm for nonprofits, especially Mm -hmm. um, I think in the Christian space, I'd love to see the work kind of come up and be elevated Mm -hmm. um, and be ethical, and be informed by people, and be kind of all the things that the marketing and the comms are. I'd love for the work to kind of
1: to be on that same track. Yeah. Uh, why do you say, especially in the Christian space?
0: Oh, um, <laughs> because I, I, I mean, I just think like so. I got started going on mission trips, right? Like I would just kind of drop into a community and be like, I'm here to help you. You're welcome.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and um, and looking back on some of the stuff I did, I just can't believe that I thought that. I was helping somebody by showing up and painting their house poorly, you know, on a Saturday for Um, the 17th time. And yeah, right. And so (laughs) I think, um, I think that that's the community I grew up in. And so that's the one that I think I'm the most critical of Mm -hmm. that. I, um, I know the most about. And so I think a lot of times some of the work that's motivated by either by faith or by good intentions, but not necessarily by data or by research Mm -hmm. or, um, you know, by any sort of professional acumen, um, that I, I see so many communities doing things that are well intentioned, but that I've the longer I've lived overseas or the longer I travel um, in communities and kind of go back and see the same community, I see that there's so much more that could have been done. Like instead mm-hmm. of you know bringing a team to paint the same wall 12 times a year, like what about just sending money or what about doing you know having engaging them in campaigns or what about just travel? Like nothing is wrong with just travel and being curious and visiting an organization, mm-hmm. giving them some money and leaving. Like. Um, I think kind of breaking down some of those ways that short-term missions and um, churches and teams and kind of all of that can be um, can think with kind of the the future and kind of sustainability in mind.
1: Mm-hmm. That would be great. Mm-hmm. I agree, and I think that I mean, like you, coming um, having grown up in the evangelical church and still uh, a part of it today, um, it's probably similarly the group that I'm definitely the most um, aware of, and therefore. Uh, critical of including my myself in that as well um and I think that there is a lot of room for growth and that we have made probably some poor decisions over the years that uh, hopefully we can learn from and continue to move forward with eyes wide open and much more awareness and understanding hopefully
0: yeah and I think that that's part of the thing about kind of having a few different hats like I'm a funder I work for a you know a philanthropist I'm a I'm a writer I work for nonprofits but mainly like I just I'm a friend to a lot of people that are mm-hmm. beneficiaries of nonprofits overseas. And so I just want the work to be good. Like I almost don't even care about the marketing and the comms. I just wish that everybody was fully funded who was doing <laughs> good work. You know, like I wish I didn't have to do this and like compel people to give and like beg people to give, you know? Um, but because I just, because I'm just kind of more of a friend of of people on the ground who I know need help or need money or, you know, refugees that are looking for resettlement or things like that, like, um, I care more that the work is done well, even about than my writing or getting, you know, getting a storytelling gig, cause that's, that's mm-hmm. very important. And I don't mean to minimize it, but the most important thing to remember is that it's about the work being done well and mm-hmm. professionally and ethically, um, marketing is a huge part of that. Um, but the work as a whole is kind of what I'm super passionate about. So
1: with writing, you shared earlier that if someone doesn't disclose a personal piece, have information about themselves in the interview and you use the example of if they were HIV positive that you wouldn't include that in their story. And how do you navigate, uh, sharing kind of the big picture of a social issue, um, within or embedding that into someone's personal narrative?
0: Um, I think just through research and data on this, I kind of rely because it's what I've seen on, on journalism. Um, and so seeing how, um, somebody would, would draw kind of larger trends, and, and bring them down to a personal level. Um, a lot of times there's inconvenient things or somebody will tell you something that doesn't quite jive um, with what either the client has told you. Um, like for instance, like, you know, They'll, the client might say, like, we're the first person to ever bring water to this village. And then when you're interviewing somebody, they might be like, yeah, well, we had a, a well a while ago, and then these other people came and brought us water, and then that that broke. And so, you know, mm-hmm. so sometimes it's it's you know it's either research or just research on the client or the the, the organization. And so I think you just got to be honest um, with what's in front of you. And even if somebody's lived experience or personal experience is different than the, than the research or the data, like. You kind of just have to hold room for both, I think, as a writer. Um, it's it's you know, it might not be convenient for your story. It might not quite land as as well. But um, if they're both kind of true at the same time, looking at them, then I don't see any other way around it than to to mention it.
1: I love that you use the word convenience, and I think that that it just hits the nail on the head in terms of kind of forced marketing. So how do you navigate convenience versus truth?
0: Oof. <laughs> um, not very well. Um, I, I think um, because of my personality and because I don't really have a stake in, in the game per se, like as a contractor, usually I, I'm kind of there for the truth, right? Like I was there, to, I was hired to tell a story. And so if the story is what it is, sorry, but that's what you're going to get kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, that's kind of I mean that's why I'm there is the truth. I'm not there to 100%. And I've gotten in the field sometimes and been like I do not like this program <laughs> and mm. I do not agree with what they're doing. And so it's been I mean it's been tough and I think um you know you can vet organizations and you can do all this stuff but then if you get there and you meet somebody that um you know maybe the organization hasn't done a good job of honoring or um you know or even if they just have a lousy program um, you just, I mean, for that for that specific instance, I just kind of turned in the work and, you know, had a drink and then moved on. <laughs> like it was, you know, there was really no, you know, there's still, you know, you still got to do it, but um, it it has been tough at times to realize that um, just because you're, you know, asked to do something doesn't mean that you're gonna you're gonna agree with it or, you know, I don't know.
1: So how do you prioritize expectations in the field between the organization? the beneficiary who you might be interviewing yourself and any other parties that might be part of that pool?
0: Um, that's a tough one because I think so many times they'll be like, Hey, could you interview this woman? And I know that this woman, like maybe not be eligible for their services anymore, or maybe, you know, won't be, her kids won't be going to school under the same scholarship program anymore. So it is tough because you do want to tell a story, I'm not really sure what the statute of limitations is for, for things like that. Like, you know, they'll say, Oh, this woman, you know, one time we helped her a few years ago, would you talk to her? And then we tell her story, we spend her whole day, you know, can you carry that water again? Can you carry that water again? Can you do it a different way? You know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then we, um, and then you realize that she's not going to be benefited. Her life is not going to change. Her lived experience is not going to change if you tell this story. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the hardest thing. And that's when I think I, just become all the more grateful for people who spend time with me, who offer me tea, who let me sit on their floor, who introduce mm-hmm. me to their kids, because it is just such grace that they're giving me their time. Um, and it's just such grace that they recognize that I'm not even going to benefit from this. Like this, there's been times when people have been like, I, this is this is really sobering, like somebody who'll kind of look at me and be like, are you getting paid for this? Mm-hmm. And you kind of want you just kind of rocks you back on your, on your heels. And you're like, uh, yeah," you know. And you realize that like they they live in either extreme poverty or they've experienced extreme trauma and you're kind of just visiting and you're getting paid to visit them. And so um, I, you know, it's just, it, it's just still a challenge. Like, I think I still feel like, oh, I wonder how she's doing or I hope she knows that I'm still thinking about her or I hope she's doing okay. Um, because, you know, but the reality is, is people just kind of sometimes, People give of their stories freely because they hope, even if it doesn't change their circumstance, that they want people in America or people, you know, abroad to see their their life or their smile, or they, they hope that somebody will see their kid's face and really want to support their kid through sponsorship or something like that. Like people are just, they really, I mean, so many people can't, they don't do anything besides hope. And so you're part of that hope. And it feels like such a... Um, a burden and a responsibility and a joy, um, to be invited into that. But that's why I kind of prioritize the people I'm interviewing and the clients kind of, unfortunately, like a few down the list. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, they're the ones that are there and that are paying me, but I do know that if their heart is really for the people that they're serving, that they'll be okay with maybe not sharing a detail of somebody's life or of me spending a little bit more time than necessary to, to drink the tea or go to the school and so many times you know clients so many more clients than not are so great and they understand that and that's their heart too um so I really try to prioritize the subject and their comfort and sometimes and sometimes I like to pay people too like recently worked on a photo shoot with um survivors of sexual assault and I wanted to compensate them for their time because I was getting paid the photographer was getting paid um you know, they, they spent a few hours with us and it was hot. And so, um, just, you know, finding a way to honor whatever it is in them, um, that, that might help, you know, it's, it feels so trivial to be like, here's a few dollars, you know, Mm -hmm. but, um, just finding whatever it is, that point of connection that, that feels like you're honoring their time, um, and their emotional vulnerability. I mean, there's nothing you can do to reciprocate. Um, they don't want to hear about my sad, sad stories. Um, you know, so Mm -hmm. you just kind of have to, Hold that space for them. Be there for them. Walk with them for as short a time as you knew, you know that is you have allowed, and then you have to go. And that's that's really kind of the the sad part of the work, and the the work that I think starts to haunt you the older you get, and the more mm-hmm. stories you've done, and the more places you've been. I think when you're young, it's easier to go from field to field, and you know this to this, and you don't really think about it. But then when you're when you're a little bit older. Um, you sit there at night and you're like, oh my gosh, I wonder how that person's doing. Or I wonder how like Scovia and William are doing. Or, you know, you just, you think Mm -hmm. about specific people and you wonder um, what their lives are like. And so it it doesn't get easier. (laughs) So I don't know if that is a comfort to anyone, but.
1: Okay. So you just said two things in there that I think are absolutely brilliant that I want to make sure we pause and take a moment to let fully sink in. (laughs) And the first Mm -hmm. of that is being called out on the monetization of someone's story.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And secondly, is almost the hypocrisy that lies, at least this is my interpretation of what you said, the hypocrisy that lies in all of uh, us outsiders getting paid while taking up someone's time to, um, in essence, capture their story uh, to hopefully further the work of the organization in a way that will allow that organization to impact even more people. But in that process, not paying them an honorarium, whereas we would always expect to have our time be compensated for.
0: Yeah, I think it's just kind of that stark reality of like in America, or you know, that's where I'm from. So that's what I'm talking about. Um, You expect to be employed and you expect to be compensated and your time is valuable and you're this and you're this. And then when you juxtapose that so starkly with dropping into somebody's life and it's like, oh, well, you know, you're, you're used to not getting paid or, oh, you, you know, you, this is your life. Like you don't even have water, <laughs> you know? Like, I mean, I think you realize like how, how much expectation comes with power and how much privilege comes with power when you put your agenda and your money-making abilities and all that stuff, like right up next to somebody. And, you know, this is something that Esther and I will get on the phone and, and cry about, <laughs> you know, like, I hope that this person knows that, um, I wanted what was best for them. Or I hope that people know that I really do think this is going to make a difference. I mean, there's just, you just, you wrestle with it and you struggle with it. And there might be a time that, um, you know, that I make different choices or that I decide to, to do something differently. I haven't figured out something hundred percent for myself yet, but, um, right now i I feel, you know, I take them out to a meal if I can, um, compensate them if I can just make sure they understand how important and, you know, valuable I think that they are and their time was so, but there's no perfect, I don't know, solution, I don't think, because I mean, the, the whole thing is injustice, right? Like, there's, you can't solve every, um, every little thing, so but I just, I like to help my friends hold some of that. And I Mm -hmm. I think sometimes the the beauty of storytelling can be when you take that burden off them a little bit, like maybe it makes them feel good. Maybe they haven't seen a counselor, you know, like maybe it does help them. Maybe people aren't asking them these questions about how are you doing? Like, you know, how are you feeling? Like, have you seen a therapist? Can I get you a therapist? You know, like anything like that, like being that person in their life. Um, again, this goes way beyond just, just storytelling or marketing, but. I think that can be a part of it, um, if it's appropriate. And if you have a relationship, it's hopefully more long-term with them, but really trying to make sure that they're okay. And that if you're the only, if you're the first person that's heard their story in their whole life and you're telling them, Mm -hmm. they're telling you a trauma, like hold space for that, you know, Mm -hmm. like let them, let them cry, give them tea, give them a moment. Don't like drag them out of the house to take a picture immediately. Um, these are real and deep things and we can't just assume that it's a, it's a photo shoot or that it's a you know, just an easy campaign to wrap up and, and go home. Um, these are people's, these are people's lives. So. Mm-hmm.
1: So given the messy and the complexity of telling stories uh, for organizations, why do you think it's important that we continue to do so if you do?
0: Oh, um, <laughs> you catch me on a bad day, and I would say that it's not. Um, <laughs> but um, I, I, um, but I just, the, I think the simplest and purest form of storytelling and joy for me is when I just post on social media or I call my, my mom or a friend and I just say, hey, you know, I went to go visit this person in jail today and they've had a really rough time or they've had a really rough life and somebody will Venmo me like $50 or somebody will want to connect or somebody will say, hey, pick them up a Coke and, you know, and I'll, I'll send you a dollar or whatever. I mean, it, so the, the most, the purest form of storytelling to me is the most exciting where it's personal, um where I'm telling somebody about a friend and I can meet a need um and I'm kind of sharing a generosity and I'm letting somebody know that somebody's praying for them or thinking about them um that means so much and so I think to scale that is always challenging but I do believe in it in its purest form and I've seen it transform and encourage and shape the lives of some of my friends mm. that I support um so I do believe in it um but I think when you when you scale it or you talk about a social media campaign, it does get hard, but you still have to kind of try to get down to that very essence of, this is a person, you're a person, how do I connect it to? Like, what are, you know, what are things that you need? What are gaps that you need filled in for you so that you feel trusting to give of your money, to give of your time and resources um, to help this person? And so I do believe in it. There's there's days for sure when I'm not sure how to go about it, but um, I really do still think that it's, it's, I mean, I've seen it change people's lives. So.
1: So for organizations that do run campaigns and utilize story in those campaigns, what are some things that you would like to, or would suggest that organizations and storytellers either start doing or stop doing or both as they're telling story to make sure that that human relational aspect doesn't get lost?
0: Just, you know, I think for a campaign, it's like usually a discreet need. It's being really clear and transparent on the financials, you know, like how much are you raising? What are you doing? Who's going to be impacted? And trying to be as true to all of those, i call call them data points because I'm so technical, but, um, you know, mm-hmm. trying to be as true to all of those as you possibly can. Like, are you actually going to raise that much? Like, is it actually going to go to this? Like, is this person actually going to be a beneficiary if you're telling their story? Um, just kind of, you know, making sure that it that it lines up. Um, and that it's all in alignment in terms of, and your community knows, like, we're doing this campaign and it's gonna do this, and, you know, getting local staff involved, getting um, people excited. I think a lot of times it's easier to compartmentalize, like, you know, we're running a campaign and, in the West and it's going to send money and then it will be manna from heaven and you will, you know, come here. And I think the more that we can engage local national staff, the more that we can talk about like, you know, fundraising is a legitimate need. (laughs) Like it is a concern. Mm -hmm. Um, How do we, how are we a part of it? And how do we bring in, if you're, you know, if you're religious, like God's generosity or something, you know, how do you bring in um, different, you know, aspects of the community for this? And it's, to me, like, it's not just about the technical, like, writing tags that say this or leaving, you know, not using this word. It's kind of more about, like, how you treat it as a whole. Um, and I think there's an opportunity to get people involved and and have it feel um, like an encouragement and like a blessing and not mm-hmm. quite just like this, you know, monetization of, of the work or things
1: like that. Yeah. So... Around the use of words and language, something that we talk a lot about in ethical storytelling is using people first language. Can you talk about what that means mm-hmm. for you?
0: Yeah. Um, so I think I guess like the technical definition would be making sure that people are the the heroes of their own lives or the actors in their own lives and they're not being acted upon. Um, but for me, it means being OK with whatever language Um. I'm using to describe them and like what I, I I've said this before but like I always say my mother like what I call my mother an orphan mm-hmm. would I would I out my mother if she had a disease like what I you know like what are the what are the things that I would want told about people in my family or myself and is that something I'm comfortable saying and there's some people your interview that'll be like I'm a survivor tell everyone tell the whole world this is who I am and they really own it and that's their power and I and i more than happy to, to help them on that journey and to give that to them. But some people are not comfortable with that and maybe haven't told anybody. And so it's really just looking at the individual and seeing, you know, what what words or labels just, you know, describe you. And nobody likes to describe themselves as this, this, and this, you know. So um, maybe even asking them, you know, what, what word do you use? Or, you know, a lot of people, it's really important that they're a former victim or a former refugee. Like that's, that's not going to define them forever. So making sure that you understand where they are on their journey um, and then honoring that
1: through through the words that you're using. So, yeah, absolutely. For people and organizations really that are looking to strengthen their writing, or maybe even just looking to get started with um, what it means to tell someone's story in written word, what advice would you leave for them?
0: Um, just to struggle with it. <laughs> mm. um, just. Um, and like be present in the moment, be present during the interview, record it, like, all, you know, kind of all that technical stuff. Um, but then just to really, when you when you go home or when you think about formulating, just struggle with it. Like, is this really indicative of what the client is trying to tell? Do I need to challenge the client on anything? Like, does the story need to be told? Like, how, what parts of this story would protect this person if I didn't tell them? Um, kind of, you know, wrestling with all of those questions, I think is a good, because everybody will come up with something different, but as long as you're struggling through it. Um, and there should be struggle. I think like these are people with very complex lives and their lives um, have weight and carry significance and meaning. And so I think that it is something that we should sit and, and struggle with. Um, I don't use the word, I choose not to use the word orphan. Um, you mm-hmm. know, It's hard for me to use the word save or rescue a lot, especially in anti-trafficking or um, refugee campaigns, but to just really wrestling with every word. And maybe you disagree with me. Maybe you use those words, but how are you going to use those words to honor the person, to honor the work? Um, I just think it deserves being struggled through um, and being thought out very carefully. Because these these the people that you know were being invited into their homes and into their lives, um, they're deserving
1: of that and they're worth that. Hey folks, that's our show for today. Thanks for listening. You should really check out Constance's work at constantsteichhausen.com. That's Constance, dot com, And when you're done with that, go check out ethicalstorytelling.com for more resources and to subscribe to our mailing list. And most of all, tell your friends about ethical storytelling. It's small and a labor of love. We all do this because we want to see change. So help us spread the word with your family and friends. Well, thanks for taking the time to chat with me and... Waking up so early. I appreciate
0: it. No, it's like, it's just like any other, you know, Saturday morning in Bangkok, like, meet Rachel, talk about the world and all of its problems, like, check. <laughs> so, just like any other time, I would do it. So, um. I love it.